but it's bubbly and looks like Facebook. And the web is just ruined by crappy websites, even the biggest ones, that are just loaded with... I think it's too many ads and trackers. You know, if you, you have a ghostry or one of these things that shows you all the... Simply the trackers. I mean, I'll go to a page and it, it pops up and shows me the trackers, and on a typical site like Forbes or something like that, I mean, they will go off the screen. There are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of different type of tracking scripts. It's you the world we live in. Up, you have your Pardot trackers, your Exact Target trackers, your yeah, Amazon, your see those, yeah. Google trackers. Just, there's a ton. Facebook, Facebook trackers. Yep, all the social media things have trackers. And then there's the super trackers and the super cookies and all this other crap. And then, oh, yeah. Just like, well, no. I mean, it's funny because the websites that, are, that seem slow, news sites that are slow to load and just are, and sure enough, just install Ghostry. And, and those will be the ones where, yeah, they have 45 trackers and a billion different ads. And all kinds of animated crap, and plus they don't even—they don't—they're not very good with having CSS that is easy on the browser. They don't know what they're doing with that. They don't—they don't know how to make markup that's easy on the browser. They assume you've got, you know, some Pentium i9 or something that's <laughs> in your mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway, how I got started on this, is I just want to look up the recipe for hot toddy, and it goes to Epicurious, and it—you know—on my on Chrome on a computer with 16 gigs of RAM, it takes. Like eight seconds just to load this stupid site. Okay, so it's bourbon, honey, lemon juice, and hot water. I guess you could use tea. That might make it something a little different, but mm. just hot water, huh? And well, and bourbon. That was bourbon, right? Bourbon, yeah. yeah. Hot water, bourbon, tea. Didn't people drink that for like breakfast or something? What's the story with a hot toddy? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, it sounds like a good breakfast drink. Does it? It doesn't to me. I like how they now have like breakfast stouts are becoming a more popular thing, which is like, hey, that's, I can have a beer for breakfast. It's a breakfast stout. But is that's it, the rule, right? Is, is that, is, is it called a breakfast stout because you can have it for breakfast or is That's it? my interpretation. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they usually have oats, like oats in the grist. Yeah. So it's like, okay. Okay. So you got some oat. I'm having oatmeal. It's there you just, go. uh, yeah. Are you into warm drinks and alcohol? Like, does that combination work for you? I find it doesn't. I find it's too... Depends. Like, I, I tried one of those, uh, what is it, Irish coffees or... Well, you haven't had my Irish coffee. Oh, okay. You also haven't had my spiced apple cider. But I can't, I can't get past the warmness of it. It's like, I don't know, it's just, it like starts effervescing into my nasal cavity and it's just, I can't. You're not supposed to inhale it through, up through your <laughs> retronasal passages. <laughs> just saying warm liquids and, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Hot toddy recipes vary and are traditionally drunk before retiring for the night or in wet or cold weather. <laughs> That's so weird. That some people, honey some people drink it to relieve symptoms of the flu. Hmm. Oh, next time I get the flu, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> it's the flu, not the, not the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hungover, I promise. <laughs> well, um, you got any topics this week? Yeah, I got a lot of topics. Okay, good, because I don't have very much. And I feel like definitely on that last episode, I realized I was talking a bunch. So I'm going to, I've got a couple things I just want to touch on. But other than that, I'll let you uh, have the floor. Oh, I get to have the floor today. I mean, I'll force you to take it. Usually, you know, the rule is you got to just jump in. But today the rule is going to be 
I'm going to... I, I feel like this week I'm very tech-heavy, not so much Salesforce-heavy. I mean, the, the stuff I have on Salesforce is kind of the more information we've been getting on the whole LinkedIn deal. Um, the, I, I can touch on that, but I don't know. I have some few random stuff, like the, the Tesla, Tesla, Tesla car. See what I did there? Tesla. <laughs> she tried to sell that to him. Yeah. Trademark it. There you go. <laughs> the one that hit, uh, was it the driver or it hit a pedestrian? I don't know. I'm trying to remember now. I mean, I'm sure people have gotten in wrecks on their Teslas. Yeah. I mean, they are cars that travel around fast. Well, yeah, but this was like the self-driving car. Well, they don't really have a, I mean, they have, it's got some kind of slightly automated mode that'll warn you about if you're drifting out of your lane or whatever, but it's, it's not a self-driving car. <laughs> or at least you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to <laughs> use it that way. Not uh, a best practice. What, what was that movie? Was it Anchorman where, where he, uh, he puts it on cruise control and then he walks to the back of the Winnebago and everyone's like, who's driving? It's like, I have it on cruise control. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Uh, that's, that that's a great movie. And maybe it was the second one. Maybe it wasn't the first one. Maybe it was the second one. I'm where he did that. pretty sure I didn't see the second one, so maybe so. Well, okay, I've got to... Well, okay, go ahead. Well, I wasn't done with that because okay. what that did is it brought like this old news story up to my feed and it was on the Google self-driving car and one of the patents that they, they, they had made... And it was a patent for a sticky hood. And so I guess they're, they're, they're saying, <laughs> the technology's not perfect. We're probably going to hit a few people. And so to minimize that, we're going to like create this surface that if we hit someone, they'll stick to the hood instead of bouncing off and getting furtherly, further injured. Yeah, it's like one of those um, sticky paper traps where like yeah. to catch flies and bugs. <laughs> I just, just see this ghoul car catch. driving around with a bunch of people going, ah! <laughs> yeah, stuck to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's modern engineering, I guess. I just love how we're accepting the fact that we're just gonna we're gonna hit a few people. Right. There's gonna be some bumps in the road. But those bumps might be people, but um, you know we'll get past it. On with the future. All right. So I have a question. Um, I've been. It's a code <clears throat> code question. I've been um, trying to improve some things in a particular org that has big org, a lot of code, a lot of legacy stuff. You know, there's been a ton of different people that have been dropping their code bombs and a lot of different consultants. And, <laughs> I thought and, you could use a different word yeah, than code bombs. but Code bombs. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a mess. Um, and, well, it's, I, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's painful. It's, there are certainly areas, there are ghettos in the code, I will put it that way, that mm -hmm. have been, that are, that, are, that are certainly legacy, haven't, no one's even looked at them in probably literally years. But they're they're working. They're doing their thing. Um, all the code that's been touched, you know, in the I don't know, and and a good while now is 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 much better than that. But there's there's these little ghettos, code ghettos, and um, you know we've had problems with, um, especially in tests, hitting certain limits, number mm -hmm. of SQL queries. That's that's the big one, but the other ones too. And so, you know, I've I've taken it on. I've taken on this task of trying to figure out um, we you know what what's causing this so mm -hmm. there's you know in this in the trigger oriented or, or I should say it's a new uh, TDD it's TRDD trigger trigger driven development this model that, that's pretty much the only model Salesforce gives you you, you can't uh, you're not controlling when the user saves something or creates a new record but you can react to it Right, and so we're in this reactionary model. Oh, someone just saved an account. I guess I need to 
check out the, you know, let's see if there's any opportunities, maybe updated value on those. So then you update opportunities and the opportunity trigger says, oh, oh, someone just did something. I better, I better do my thing now. Right. And they don't, but they don't really necessarily know each other, know about each other that well. And then in many cases, they probably shouldn't. I mean, you want things, you don't want things over, overly coupled. Right. But the downside of that is you can just have these triggers and not, now we have workflow and process, process builder and flows flow. and, and whatever else that participate in this reactionary model. And none of them really know about each other. Again, they probably shouldn't. But but at some point, you can you can end up with a big mess. And of course, there's all kinds of techniques. You know, making sure a trigger doesn't just arbitrarily doesn't run more than X number of times, or or specifically coding in some logic or setting some kind of flag or property on the trigger or some right. kind of business logic class that says, "I know you want to run, but just don't run again because I know you shouldn't run." You know that type of thing. Right. But one thing I've discovered is. I, I've come across a somewhat intractable problem, as, at least as far as I can tell, which is I've got a test and it needs to you know, test some functionality, but in order for the functionality to be there, it needs to create some data in the system first, right? So it, right. you need to have a, what we call a test harness, right? Which is um, basically data in the system that the test will act on. Well, some of the stuff's pretty complicated. And so in order for a certain code path to execute, you know, you've got to have accounts and contracts and opportunities and contacts and products and price book entries and things related to those and custom object records. Like there's got to be this pretty big object graph here. Right. Now, creating all those things at once is never a, a use case that would happen, right? I mean, an account might be created one day and then six months later an opportunity and then a contract happens after the opportunity closes and then sometime down the line, you know, these other custom object records... So they, they're created more naturally. But for this test, I've got to create those all, all at once. Yeah, it's the big bang. And I've got to create them all in one transaction. Again, this is not a natural way to do it, but for this test, this is how I have to do it. Well, I can't do that within limits because every time I create one of those, one of these things, all, all these triggers fire, right? And you can try to optimize things. And, but I mean, the reality is, is that you kind of need those triggers to fire because if you, if you disable all your triggers, well, now, now you're in an unknown state. Your data is not in a good state because you didn't let all your things that make your make sure your data is in a valid state. You didn't let them run. Right. So I don't want to turn those off. So I'm, I'm again I'm bumping up against this this platform as a service I, I can't control. Like I need to be able to create this set of data within and without hitting limits. What do I do? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's really yeah. I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. I mean, you, you and then have I wonder to... and I wonder to myself. Surely there are people that are doing, I mean, this is a small team. Surely, because I, I know there are companies that have these big teams and giant orgs with hundreds of thousands of lines of code. What are they doing? And, I, and, and again, I'm not sure you'd want to see the kind of hacks that people have to do to build, to actually build real enterprise software on this platform. So, I mean, could you reduce your, your you did everything you could to reduce and limit the amount of data, maybe test one product or versus 10 products or something it, like it's that. It's certainly not creating <laughs> any more than what's needed to test this particular code path to do the test that's needed. And you're not talking, you're talking, you're, when you do it, you get an error before your test even runs. Before the, yeah, before, there are all the limits before are you even hit. hit the start test method, right? You're, you're hitting the limit. Yeah. You'd have to... <laughs> <laughs> and I've even done things like implemented um, th that record type service thing I was talking about where, and this, you know, I, this is almost like, I hate to say best practice, but this, this, is, a, this is an interesting pattern that I'm, I'm almost thinking is just kind of a default thing to do, which is 
create a record type service that is where everything goes to get record types and have it manage its own state. And the first time someone asks it for a record type, it basically just does a query against uh, an open table scan against all record types and caches them, you know, by S object type and then by record type name. Right. So you have one query for record types. Because if you don't do that, in a complex org, you fire for trigger, I mean, you could have 12 different things that query for record types separately. Well, that's right. 12 queries. So there's things like that. I mean, I'm doing things like that. I mean, it's, it's um, and again, this, there are some of these, I think, ghettos of code that this, this thing probably goes into that I don't fully understand, but I'm looking at, just looking at the profiling data and things, I, I'm just not seeing anything. I'm like, what can I cut out of this? I need all these objects to be created in order for this code path to execute. I don't know what else I can cut. And I literally cannot get the test harness created. Yeah. I feel like anything I suggest would be, is kind of a way to kind of work around it or mitigate the real issue, which is the fact that you can't set up your test without incurring all this expense in the system or even ignoring the limits, at least just to set up your test. And this also kind of gets back to, you know, what, what, 99.8% 99.8% of people call unit tests in Salesforce are actually full-on integration tests. Right. And I've actually noticed myself evolving to a model of, you know, for, let's say, we've got a visual force page that's got some, you know, a box and a button and somebody can do something. But what that does, you know, you need to, you're, you're querying data and, you know, you're going through a, 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 you're going through, first of all, you're going through a service layer, which, you know, if you're doing any, any kind of, you know, do, domain-driven design type of thing, you've probably got a service layer or some kind of facade layer. You've got things that um, encapsulate your query logics, like a, a repository. So let's say you're, this page I'm creating needs to query accounts. Well, I'll probably have an account repository so I can, and that's what encapsulates all query logic for the application. Now, the question is, you know, do you, are you writing individual tests for your, for your repository classes and your service layer classes and your, you know, business objects and all these things? Well, that's a, good, that's a damn good question. Um, but it, in, it, in traditional software, I, I do. But in Salesforce, because it already takes so freaking long to run tests and to deploy and to knowing that, like, if I do this the way I would do a normal project, like, it's going to take, fo- and, you know, we're building the system for the next year or two, we're going to end up with enough tests that it's going to take, you know, four hours to deploy. And so I've really scaled back. I, I, still, I still go for good coverage. And I still want to make sure that all my important code paths are covered. But I tend to... I'm testing at the, I'm testing at the, not at the boundaries. I'm basically doing functional tests. So mm-hmm. I am, I, I'll kick off that visual force page controller and then it, ex- it's because these are integration tests, it exercises that full stack of stuff. Right. And as long as I get the right answer back and I can verify that, you know, I can assert what I need to assert to make sure that everything did what it's supposed to, I'm good with that. I'm not going to write separate tests for my repositories. If I end up with uh, uncovered stuff, it's actually, it's a great way to find out, do you have dead code? Yeah. Because if I if I had written a test class for my for my repository, well, I would have full coverage of my repository. But what I don't know is if there's anything of use actually using that. Right. But if I don't have a test class for my repository, and I'm and I'm depending on functional tests to cover everything. By functional tests, I mean basically I'm testing it, uh, like say a, um, a, the Visual Force controllers. It's the entry point into the system, or if I if it's um, code that's being uh, accessed via like I've got a um, an API or REST service or something like that's the entry point. Right. I'll write tests for all those, but these are again these are these are functional. Is that what the people call system tests, functional tests? Yeah, you should call them. Especially the things past integration tests. Right. It's like it's 
you're coming at you're you're basically operating the system the way the user would, and making sure that the user gets the right answer back. Right. And if all and if they do, then you're assu- you're assuming right that everything in between is done its its job right. If you know, if not, it was just a incredibly rare happy accident that you got you get the right <laughs> answer back, which happens. But um, but no, when I was thinking about only testing at 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 the that functional layer, you know, your your visual force controllers, your API classes, entry points, whatever, is that any any code that ends up not being covered, I mean, assuming you've got all your you know all your Apex controllers covered, if you've got you know half of your account repository class that is bred, well, that means it's dead code. Nothing's using it, which is great because then you can delete it. And there's nothing better than deleting code, <laughs> right? That's true. I mean, no, you should. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy the process of, you know, writing some code and then, you know, refactoring it so that it's smaller. I love when I can take something that was just massive, even if I'm just kind of moving the functionality around into smaller functions, you know, just, you know, making it a little more self-documenting, a little more easier to understand, a little more easy. That process makes me feel better. When, when, I, when I see a loop and it, it's, it's maybe three lines, it's the entry point to the loop, a line of code, and, and the, end, the end character, that makes me happy. That reminds me. I, I saw uh, a tweet the other day from a, a software developer who I really respect, who's probably way smarter than me and has done cooler things, um, not in the Salesforce space at all. But he said something like, uh, I, I, this, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, what is it with people that, that are creating methods that only have one call site? And I'm like, well, I create methods that only have one call site. I and it immediately kind of felt bad or ashamed. <laughs> Again, you know, I, I think this guy's really smart. I got a lot of respect for him. But I completely disagree with that. Mm. I am totally fine. In fact, most of my most of my methods probably only have one call site. But you know what? I have I have readable code. Yeah. I have well factored code. I have code that reads kind of like English does. Right. I mean, when the project manager can l- looks at you know when I, we're walking through you know trying to understand maybe there's some bug or something we can't figure out, I'll, they're looking at my code going, "Wow, I can totally tell what this does." I'm like, yeah, thank you. I take that as a big compliment. But if you know, if your rule is that uh, you know, in order to in order to split something out as a separate method, it's got to have multiple call sites. Well, your code is going to suck. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think in terms of readability, it's just a big boost. I mean, also in the log file, which we can't really control much about the log file, but at least you'll get the the entry point into that method, so you get a little bit more information in terms of when it enters and exits. However, we have other issues with the log, which is the amount that can be stored in it before it starts truncating. You know, making sure you have the right trace flags in there. You know. Which is kind of a, I don't know, Russian roulette, I guess. I'm gonna yeah. say <laughs> whether or not you get the right uh, trace flag set up. But a lot of these guys that are in the, you know, into the, I don't know, serious like uh, what, what do they call themselves? Like you know, code craftsmen or whatever. You know, they have all these rules that, um, you know, a class can't class basically should fit on one screen, and a mm. method should be no more than like three lines. I, I don't have any kind of dogmatic rules like that but i can look and within usually a split second i can tell i can i can you can just flash a screen of code at me and i can i could probably tell you what <laughs> just by the sh- literally the shape that the you okay yeah i just i had something running i didn't know and was, oh. it was confusing me i wasn't sure if it was coming out on the podcast literally looking at the shape of the code i can i can immediately spot things that just f- for simply for a maintainability understandability yeah. legibility like need to change yeah, I mean, have you ever, I mean, you, you can tell right away just by looking at a code at a really high level. If it's just got this massive indent that goes off the yeah, what, screen. What those? There's a funny term for that. Um, I can't think what it is, but. But even then, I mean, just having proper indentation, spacing, you know, let it read, let it breathe. 
let let the code talk. <laughs> let it let it go. I'm I'm not a fan of everything being smushed together or you know in in you know multiple nested indents and things like that because you just can't read it. There's no way you're going to come be able to come back and refactor anything with any degree of success. And I know um, <clears throat> sometimes the argument I hear against this is well you know if you're creating all these methods a lot of those are going to be private methods. They should be private methods because they just are serving other parts of the class. And other, you know, they're hard to test. And you know, people will mark them as what's it called, test visible or something. Which, by which the I've way, done. I don't think I may have done it. I don't know, but I do it certainly so rarely that I, I actually don't ever remember doing that. And the reason is because if you can't test, get the test coverage you need on a class because something's in um, a, a private method, mm-hmm. well, then maybe you have dead code. That's true, but I there there are certain methods where I will make them. You know, test is it test friendly or test visible? I think it's test visible or something. I think it's test visible. Um, and that's when the the main purpose of the function is to take input that may generate from that usually comes from the user, something I'm not going to be able to control, and it might have to do something or make a decision on that. And I want to test a bunch of different scenarios without having to reset all this other data up. Um, so a lot of times I'll put I'll take a method that's kind of complex and does something very specific, but has this in, immense variable either many variables or a single variable um, that I won't be able to control that I'll put through the ringer just to test. I just think if you're finding yourself needing test visible, it's probably, you probably have a, some other design problem. You should be able to, by exercising your public methods with varying inputs, you should be able to exercise all your private methods. And if you can't, then you probably got... One of the, one of the most common things is you may need to extract a class. Like I'll say, um, I mean, like a common thing is like, you need to parse something, right? So you um, you um, you add some private methods in a class that this class is going to use in order to parse some like some user input, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, damn, how am I, these are private methods because only the class needs to use them internally. So I can't really. I'm having a hard time testing them. Well, that's because you need you're looking at a parser class that you jammed into this other class. That should be a separate parser class. I mean, there's all kinds of dis- again. If you're if you're seeing that, you you might have other design things that you should work on. You should always look at that first. Like, oh, do I have, you know, should I extract a class out of, another class out of this or, or whatever, you know. I, I see your point on that, but I'm, I'm also very timid at creating a bunch of new classes. I, I that's probably because have, we, That's because you're working I on have, the Salesforce platform. I have way more nested classes than I probably should. And this, is, this is where Salesforce, because of its limitations and just the, um, what, what, what's, what's the word? Um, it's not even simplicity. It's it's just the the lack of. Uh, it's not even sophistication. Um, but just just the limits, just the limitations of the platform that force you to write code, and it force you to create you know code smells. You're writing code in, in bad ways because, at some point, it, that becomes the lesser of the two evils. Yeah, having having, I mean, I've, I'm the same way. I've got classes that are way too long. Yeah, but at least I have, you know, nine hundred classes instead of forty five hundred classes in, in this org. Right, exactly. Because there's one namespace. Yeah. I mean, 4,500 classes. Of times is, I, I just need a data structure to, to put stuff in. Yeah. And so lot, but here's well, what happens. My data structures end up growing and becoming full-fledged classes with functionality in them. And now I'm like, oh, crap. Now I, I either got to make the decision to move this out and change all my pointers and everything. Because by then, it's, it's this faux namespacing. Yep. Um, so it happens. Yeah. But I, to your point, back to your original topic in terms of being able to create those tests and everything, that's just that's a scaling issue of the system in general. I mean, you're you're never going to be able to go in and create a big bang of, of data 
in that system because of everything else that's running. I ran into that um, in actually a couple of weeks ago. What, uh, I'm not following you. Well, the fact that you have a lot of code that executes, you know, on account, account creation, opportunity creation, product creation, all of those kind of things, mm -hmm. they, they all will trigger off other things. Right. And as the system grows, that's fine. But a lot of times when this is, when these things are getting added, it's within the context of a single transaction, maybe more than likely a single record. Um, you know, you should be bulkifying. There, there are just things that happen that certain states that you expect to occur. Maybe as you create something, it's making callouts to another system, and that has its own restrictions. Um, so an issue I had recently was, it wasn't even my code, but I was asked to review it and come up with a solution, is that they had this solution where they would take these opportunities and clone them and split them out. Um, for some, there was some kind of business process that required this, where they basically took a, an opportunity and split it out across and maybe created 50 opportunities out of it. Okay. And it worked fine. You know, there, there were cases where there was 50 opportunities that had to be, or 50 clones that had to be made of that opportunity. Worked fine until a new piece of code was added to quotes. And so what ended up happening is, as soon as that new functionality went into production, it never hit anyone's radar until someone went to clone it with, you know, 50 plus records and all of a sudden started coming across these issues because of all the nested transactions that happened within that. And so, I mean, it's just a scaling issue, I think, in general, and pr protecting it against that scaling what is, issue. What is? What's a scaling issue? Uh, the fact that you can execute something in bulk and it not be able to perform for that bulk transaction. I keep using the word transaction. I feel like I'm using that wrong. I think, no, I think, but, that's, I think that's right, actually. Because most of these limits we're talking about are per transaction. Right. And so what's happening is, is that you, you go through and you say, okay, I'm going to create 50 opportunities. Sure, easy. I'll, I'll clone them and I'll, I'll run my insert statement. Well, now you're dealing with, you know, well, so every opportunity when it's in a certain stage creates, creates its own quote. Right. And, so, and then each quote has to clone the products from the previous opportunity. So there's, there's more transactional information. And not only that, because it creates the, the opportunity, and then for each one of those it has to create all the line items, and so that's triggering more. And this right. is all within the same transaction. And what you're saying is you may have properly bulkified a lot of these things and right. still hit these limits. Exactly. You know what? Yeah, In fact, it was a query limit that was, that was stopping the issue. And this is what, something that I, I definitely, I guess I would cut Salesforce some slack on, because I, I, I get the need for this. You had some, get some honey? I'm finally getting to the honey. Yeah. It's at the bottom. It's thick. <laughs> um, but it's 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 the the really the the way that you have to bulkify code, um, which again I understand why they do it. Um, but bulkified code, in fact, if you look to the code that does that, what you what you were talking about. So you know, opportunities created and it's going to create um, maybe more opportunities and quotes and copy mm -hmm. products. I mean. That could be all bulkified code. But bulk, the problem with bulkified code is it's very hard to follow. Yes. Because you can't, you're not looking at what we do to an opportunity. You might be looking at, you know, some mass creation of products and it's across all these opportunities. It's just very hard to, it's, um, it's certainly not, uh, like, it's not, I don't know what the word would be, it's not semantic, it's not, it's not real readable. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of maps of map, you know, maps of maps and, right. Just now, like, that was one of the reasons I was brought in to look at it because it wasn't the error that was getting thrown back was from a method that that method actually did not have a bug in it. They they were they'd spent weeks looking at this code trying to figure it out. It, it took me a few hours only because I understood, even though Salesforce reported an issue with that that class and that method, it wasn't necessarily that class or that method. This was a limit error, 
which means it, it, the system wasn't scaling. So you're, you're looking at the wrong spot for the error. The issue is the totality of everything that's running. Yeah. I think I think that at some point, just begin with the Salesforce and the, the runtime characteristics and the limitations. Um, it just puts you in a situation where you can't insert fifty opportunities at a time. You you might be it might be ten, right? Yeah, and then that was my my recommendation. Yeah. I ended up being you're going to have to split this up into batches. You're going to have and you'll you'll have a few options. You can run it as a future, all these different batches, but you're not going to get control flow. It's it's all asynchronous. Everything's going to run in its own time. Yeah. You could try using the new batch Apex or a cubable Apex, I'm sorry. And which also gives you a job number that you can monitor and, and you can at least provide some feedback to the user that something is running. Um, there, there really wasn't really an option for using a total batch job because of the way the transactions had to happen. It was going to run into the limit anyways. Um, so cubable breaking things up and, and chaining them seemed to be the, the better option, but... I don't know, we'll see. Time yeah, that, will tell. The chaining is cool. I haven't, because that used to be outlawed. But I haven't done it now that you can. Is it the queryable interface? Or now the, uh, excuse me, the queryable interface that lets you do that? Um, it is, but the only, 90% of the time, the most the reason people wanted queryable, the chaining, was for callouts because of the, yeah. the limits. And, I, and it's broken for that. And I have to somewhat correct you on something you said earlier. I might have misheard what you said, but you said something about and people might, you know, doing, you know, upon say might be doing a, a call out to a system and, you know, well, you, <clears throat> Salesforce doesn't let you do call outs um, in triggers. I'm sure you've probably learned that the hard way at some point. I know I did. No, but I, we do work around that by making a, an asynchronous call right. with the call out or, right. you know, batching it or something or somehow figuring out a way to get it to. But even all of those have to be either before a transaction has started or after a transaction is complete, basically. Or else you get that, what's that, <clears throat> what's that message you get when you do a call out like in the middle, like you've already done some DML and then you do the transaction. Oh yeah, you can't do any DML uh, before. Like you can do it after, you can't do it before. You can do it after, it's, if it's all after. It either has to be all after or all before. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's the case. Like you can but do you the... you can't press a button, save a record, do a call out, because that's when you'll get the error. Now you can click a button, do a call out, and then save everything at the end of that. But you can't, you can't do a, a yeah. DML before okay. that. Or a CRUD operation before that. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, again, I kind of support that. It makes sense. You really don't want to hold open a database transaction during something that's, you know, a thousand orders of magnitude slower than, than a data transaction would normally be. Just, it's a really bad idea. I mean, you'd get, um, you'd start getting, Salesforce is really saving you from getting all kinds of uh, concurrency, runtime concurrency errors with data. I see that. I can see that. Anyway. Um, so we discovered that we need to give a shout out to Israel. The <laughs> <laughs> because that's where like 10% of our traffic comes from, our listeners are in Israel. It's like this number, it's right behind the UK. Really? And I was like, yeah, we remember that last week? We, what, was that you and I? We were looking at our, the you stats. You were looking at the stats. I, I didn't actually see the graph. But... Yeah. So it's like United <laughs> States, and then it's the UK, and then it's Israel. It's like 9%. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks everybody in Israel who's listening. And let us know who you are. I'm curious. <laughs> we also have a review this week. A new review. A new one. Yeah, this is from Brett MN. So I guess it's Brett in Minnesota. He says, uh, great show about Salesforce and other cloudy industry-related news. Jeremy and John provide insightful commentary on current industry events with a focus on Salesforce.com. News related to other companies is also refreshing and delightful. Uh, since some since comes from a position of technologist interested in a broader perspective than sycophantic fanboys <laughs> or uh, of any one company, uh, this review was not left for a free T-shirt. 
Um, well, Brett, send John your address and he will... Uh, as long as I have the size, I, I yeah. still owe some yeah, people some too. shirts. We, we need an address and a size. We really need to order some shirts. I really feel like now people are... And I'm not saying this about Brett, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think when people discover that you can leave us a bad review, a funny bad review, and it would get read right on the air. Not, I was afraid by reading that on there that we'd be encouraging. It's like um, you know mentioning like some mass terrorist or bombers like name on the TV. Like that gives them. <laughs> this is such a terrible. I apologize for this comparison, <laughs> but any you giving them that you're creating incentive. You're giving them future ones like an incentive because they know they're going to be immortalized and um, with their name all over the news. So I feel like we're giving people incentive to leave us bad reviews by uh, reading them on the air. But no, this is a good one. Uh, and also the t-shirt thing. So we have these t-shirts. That by reading good reviews so that we encourage exactly. good reviews. Exactly, right. So, so we should ignore the bad reviews should. and, and, and but the, encourage the, the now good Now we've only reviews. had one bad review, but I, I can't resist because those are fun. <laughs> <laughs> but are. don't leave us a bad review, though. But he wasn't I mean, wrong in his really review. Suck. I mean, we, we do talk other stuff. That's, yeah, no. It's not. Well, that's what the bad review is all about. He didn't like the other stuff. Yeah. We okay. talked for a seven whole minutes and hadn't gotten into Salesforce yet, so <laughs> he bailed. Oh. Um, I made an interesting discovery. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm experimenting with illuminated cloud, and I guess I I mean I'll give a illuminated or I, eliminated. Well, <laughs> it depends on your perspective. <laughs> All right, did, you, did you get illuminated or did you eliminate it? I haven't eliminated it yet. Okay. Um, it's uh yeah not. I just, I guess, an overview, quick update is it's. I do think it's definitely better than the the Eclipse Force dot com Eclipse thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, it's got uh, you know, it's got. There's a lot of upside potential. I will leave it at that. Um, but my what I wanted to talk about was I'm, because I'm hitting literally just a bunch of bugs. Uh, which is just that's the Salesforce development tool state. That's the state of the. Development tools, you know, situation here is that uh, it's just bad. Uh, the tooling and developer experience is bad. But I'm in general. At, I'm mean. trying to confirm. I'm trying to figure out. Okay, is this a bug or is this is there some solution to this? Is this something I'm doing wrong? And I hit a bug, and I discovered already it's a it's a known bug on their issue list. And you know, the guy says, okay, if, you know, are we basically? It's, I don't know if you consider it a bug or not. It's a severe limitation. The guy, the guy says, hey, I'm not sure if this is a bug or a feature request, but you know, this is something we're hitting. Um, he says, um, basically, they've got their whole team on the, on using Illuminated Cloud. And I, it's kind of sounding like it's a, it's a big company or something. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what does he say? Hang on. He's, it's, oh, yeah. He said it's, um, you know, I don't know. But anyway, their, their build team or their build engineers or whatever are having a hard time because it's it's doesn't play in the current situation doesn't play well with like a multiple developer thing but they've got this big team of developers and everything and I and I like I was like well who I'm curious who is this guy is that's using us I look I just Google, I plugged his name into LinkedIn he's <clears throat> vice president of engineering at salesforce.com so <laughs> salesforce uses illuminated cloud apparently quite extensively hmm which goes which is funny salesforce doesn't even use their own don't even eat their own damn dog food well it means they're not using eclipse exactly and they're not using their plugin Right. Because it means they're using IntelliJ with Illuminated Cloud. Right. Or they may be using IntelliJ simply for Illuminated Cloud. I'm sure there's a lot of people that fit into that category. Oh, maybe. Like, I don't use IntelliJ, but, you know, if this Illuminated Cloud thing is good, I'll install it. It's free. So why not? Yeah, I thought that was funny. So in, in your opinion, is it suffering from some of the same issues with 
that the Eclipse plugin is in meaning that it just wasn't implemented well for that environment, or is it issues with the API or the tooling, the tooling API, or is it just general bugs in in the way it was implemented? Oh, above, all of the above. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're <clears throat> you're always gonna you're always limited by the tooling API and just the the model of the comp- your compiler and the cloud and all that crap. <clears throat> but this thing just has outright like just things that haven't been implemented yet or that are bugs. I mean, it, it's I don't want to I'm not dogging it. It's um, I'm already liking it better than than certainly. So give us a high level review. I mean, is in terms of the workflow and how how well it works. I'm I mean, still I'm still getting used to it because it does just does things differently. Like, you know how I described, like, I created my project and, you know, download, takes like 20 minutes, downloads the world. And then, yeah. and then I got this giant, uh, like, comparison screen with, on one column, the entire org and all, you know, 80,000 pieces of metadata. On the other hand, a blank screen. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm scared. They wanted me to sync something. I'm like, you, is this going to sync to my, my Git repo? What is, I don't even know what this is. I closed it. Well, then I, and then I look at my code, and I have no files in my, my new project that I just created. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, where are my files? And then I realized what I was supposed to do was just, especially, I guess, for that initial thing, is just do a, like a full sync. Like, take every single one of those 80,000 metadata files and accept them. So it's equivalent to the to way Eclipse <coughs> has you choose what components you want to include in your project. This was separate from that. So this is, I'd already done that. Really? Yeah, I'd already, I'd already chosen which, which types of things I wanted. But then it then it has to go out and get those like the oh, actual and then, individual. And then the, the standard flow is that here's what's different from here. What move right, it over? Right. Because what Eclipse would have done, I think, is just after you pick, it just drops it in. Yeah. This thing has one extra step, which is oh, maybe you'd like to review what's going in here. It's kind of cool because it actually shows you like okay, you know, this is you have this, but it's different in Salesforce, or it's different on your hard drive, or or Salesforce has this, but you don't have this, or you have this and Salesforce doesn't have this. You know, it's the typical. And does kinda, that happen every time you sync the project or? Um. No, um, it, it, again, I'm still learning, but there you can do. It's got a, it's got something. It's called a refresh, mm-hmm. and that basically is just you're taking. I think um, does does Eclipse use that same terminology or Maven's made? That's basically just saying, hey, I'm going to take whatever Salesforce has and replace it, what I have with that. So I think Eclipse has a refresh. Maven's mate calls it a clean, clean project. Yeah, that's right, clean project. And I usually don't do that because I use the migration tool and some other things to. Anytime I need to do like a oh, complete right. whatever. Um, but it's also got a what they what's called a retrieve metadata, and it kind of defaults to it's going to retrieve or look for new copies or whatever changes of all the types of things that you said you wanted to track, so Apex classes and custom objects or whatever, right? All those things. Um, but when you but you get a I believe you get a once it retrieves those, I think you then get a again that comparison screen again. So it goes and gets them, but before it dumps them into your into your source root, it lets you compare to see, make sure you want all that stuff. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess it's a, I mean, it's, it's one extra step, but it's a safe, yeah, it's a safe way of doing it. And, and just, the, the, one of the issues is, is just some of it's just not super intuitive. I mean, it is, you know, it's, it, it's an, they do a good job of, pretty good job of plugging into how IntelliJ works and use its, its concepts and everything. Right. But some of it's just not real intuitive. So I'm having to learn how this thing, like I've, I've been doing little, um, little deployments from it, small deployments. Of things, <clears throat> and I couldn't find a way. Like it, it looked like it just wanted to, to deploy everything when I deployed, hmm. and that's because I didn't realize I had it set to like I don't know. There's this it's basically like defaults to all. But if you in your source tree, you can actually go through and um, just click on the things you want, mm-hmm. like 
few class files or whatever. And it, then you'll get a, a screen that's just just those things. Or you can also set up these like predefined sets. So like you might have a deployment set that it's like uh, all c- triggers and Apex classes, right? So you can just, any, you know, whatever you want to, you can just say, oh, deploy all triggers and Apex classes. Hmm. Kind of cool. So I'm still learning some of those things. It's not really, I mean, there's not a lot of documentation for this tool. There's, it's very minimal. So it's kind of just a matter of exploring. Yeah, so it's funny that Salesforce is a big user. <laughs> what do you think about IDEs incorporating so much of the deployment process into it? I'm starting to form the opinion that maybe they shouldn't. I don't, I mean, hmm, that's a good question. Because you, it's un, it's, it, it gets into the territory of just Salesforce deployments, how, mm-hmm. how broken the whole model is and how you should deal with that and, and all the trade-offs that you need to make. So I... I I hesitate to get again pedantic or dogmatic about that because I don't know, man. You got You do what you got to do, right? Right. We do do that all the time. I mean, I I come to you with some. I'm like, man, I can't figure this problem out. And you're like, well, I would just start, you know, changing this or just whatever. All these compromises. I'm just like, ugh. Like, but then it just comes down to him. This is you're dealing with this platform, and you do what you got to do. Yeah. And deployment's one of those things. I mean, I don't know. I certainly, um, I'm, I'm of the mind, especially of like production deployments that um, I track all the metadata and it's very controlled how things get into production and they're only from known working builds as, as, and as much as you can have that in Salesforce and I, the whole thing's deployed. The whole set of metadata. Which has Now some, I do have some tooling that <clears throat> will... Pros and cons? Oh, no. So yeah, it's all got pros and cons. Um, the pro is, is that you have a known good working build Every single field, every single validation rule, every process and Apex class and trigger and workflow, it's, you're taking all those things, your entire system, in a known working state that you reviewed in like a QA sandbox or something. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you're just patch deploying, like, you're just taking a guess. Yeah. Maybe, some, maybe some other developer pushed some other stuff into production that you don't have, or an admin cha- did some config changes and you're deploying your changes into it, really not knowing where, and even if the test passed, well, that doesn't mean that it's that doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're not you're not safe because of that. <laughs> uh, you could have something that's just you know chewing up data or doing something stupid, and and just it just happened to be a bad conflict of a change you made and a change someone else made, right? So yeah, I mean I think, I think deploying from an IDE is overall kind of an anti pattern. Probably shouldn't deploy from an IDE. I mean, you, you probably I mean you create your you, you can create your build you, I mean you compile and, and traditionally you can create a build from it but it's not your de- it's not how you deploy you know it's it's that that has always traditionally been separate activity yeah even with web I mean I guess web started doing that it started incorporating that more but it was nothing more than a zip or even just a push to an FTP yeah well in Salesforce I mean the way you the way you even like get a a build or test a build is by deploying it. I mean, you can do like, I guess a verification only deploy. Yeah. But that just, that just, what I don't think that tests is that the, all the metadata was accepted and the unit tests passed. That's still a deployment activity, not really a compile activity. Right. Because in your, in your sandbox environment where you are developing, everything should be compiling. And if you run all well, your tests. Compiling where? Like you're compiling into what? Into object code somewhere? I mean, I, I'm sure when you when you put, well, I don't even know what verb to use now because it's so weird in the Salesforce world. When you put your Apex classes into Salesforce, I'm sure it yeah. does compile them in some kind of bytecode or object code 
is, I, is, I'm using the term to kind of bridge the gap between traditional development and Salesforce development. I don't know that it's a true compile. All I know is that when I, I save my right. class, it's a it's a ant script push yeah. to Salesforce, right? And then Salesforce either accepts it or they don't, and that's what we call a compile. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're they're, they're whatever that what you know. Okay, so there's some things we know. Salesforce runs Java. Apex is Apex does get compiled into Java bytecode, so they're probably storing when you up when you upload your Apex class. They're probably compiling. Well, they have to compile because they got they're going to run the tests, yeah. right? So it's getting compiled into whatever they compile it into. I'm going to say it's 99 percent sure it's Java bytecode, and they're just leaving. You know, those compiled Java. You, I mean, they probably they're keeping the source and the compiled Java bytecode, and they're both there. And so when your code is executed, you know they've already got the bytecode compiled. Now, of course, there's this Java, so there's the there's the um, the Java runtime that does <clears throat> a lot of just-in-time optimizations, and but it's still it's still running that from already compiled bytecode. Yeah, I really hope that's not one big file. <laughs> Probably is. Could you imagine your entire code base getting compiled into one one Java file? That's why we don't have namespaces because yeah. it's all one file. <laughs> well, someone the other day said something uh, about maybe it was in the Slack. They said um, they pointed out some. Salesforce built in, it looks like a it looks like a, a namespace or a packet or something. And they're like, well, why does Salesforce get? You know, it's funny they they don't let us do namespaces, but they have some of this system code that comes with Apex. This namespace. I'm like, no, those aren't those actually aren't namespaces. Those are just classes. Right. So Salesforce will create static classes and then put a bunch of classes in those. And it looks like if you just look at the code you write to the user, it kind of looks like a namespace, right. but it's not. Just static class hell is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a rant. Okay. This is about the Lightning interface. The Lightning UX experience. It's so awesome, isn't it? I wouldn't know. <laughs> I mean, I know some, but I'm not, I'm not a Lightning expert. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm starting to see it more and more. Um, I have one client who... A lot of his customers are at least defaulting with Lightning on until they run into an issue and they have to go back to Classic. And then retrain all their users? Uh, no, because these are usually smaller organizations, I'll say, small businesses. They don't have users? Or? No, they have users, okay. but I mean, most of the stuff the users need to do can be done in Lightning. But, okay. You know, all the other stuff, they'll context switch to the Classic. The users do? Yeah. Okay. And they don't have to be trained on that or... They have to be trained, okay. obviously, but I'm just saying they're trying to use the new U, U, the new interface. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm having to go into these orgs and go into the setup tools, and it's some of it is just a learning curve because every some things have shifted, um, but a lot of it is just functionality that either is getting taken away or it doesn't solve for how I do things. Um, so, are you talking about the when you're in setup and you've got lightning enabled? Right. Okay. And so you'll you'll get this whole new UI for setup, and then depending on what you have access to, if it's been lightningified, then you'll get a lightning screen. Otherwise, you'll get um, kind of the classic interface embedded, almost, I guess, like an iframe into the screen, into the page. Um, so what that does is it, it causes a lot of inconsistency in terms of, you know, how you manage it, where you find things, where you look for things, because the where they are and positioned has changed. Um, there's no longer an account menu. It's all in objects, which I actually kind of agree with. I think everything should be in all objects and custom objects should be peers, not yeah, not separate. Yep. You know, that was always confusing to me. Well, the most confusing thing is when you, once you get into 
a standard object versus a custom object, the interface is completely different. Yes, that was bugging me too. Yeah. Um, one of the things it does, and it, and it breaks, is, is the fact that 90% of the time, I can't command-click to open a new tab on something. That's, I told, we talked about this. <laughs> That's because it's a single-page app. You can't... I know, but it, it would load another instance of that app. These are, this isn't just a web page anymore, I know, John. I know. This is you can forget your your nice, you know, web. This web. Listen, we are sacrificing the benefits of the web for these some of these poorly written single page applications. I agree. But what I'm saying is, is a lot of the things that that bugged me before could be mitigated by the fact that I could multitask. I could. You know, if, if I was in an object and I needed to modify something, I could command-click and open a new tab, right. mess with it, save it, close it, and I'm back where I was. Or you need some side-by-side stuff. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I could mitigate some of the issues with the interface just by using browser, you know, browser technology. Well, now I can't. Yeah. Now I can't do that. Now I have to deal with going into a screen and then dealing with something and then going back three times to get back to the original. I don't even like that new profile editor. I say new in quotes, right? Because it's, I think it's like two or three years old. But I still use that old profile editor because it's got everything on the screen. Right. The new profile editor, I don't know where anything is. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. I can't stand it either. I, I don't it, know anyone have, who likes it. You have it. to search for whatever you're looking for, and you better hope whatever you're looking for is indexed, otherwise you won't find it. I mean, in fact, right. that leads me to my next gripe, is that with the interface, yeah, you get this little... So if you go into an object and you're looking for a field, you know, and this object has like 500 fields configured. Well, first of all, you don't even see all 500 fields. At least today, you see them. They're there on the screen. Now it's all in this, this view. So if you want to see all the fields, you have to click this view all button or link. Yeah. And that takes you to another page. And even then, you don't see them all. You have to page through them. <clears throat> now, the tool does give you a little search feature, but that's only searching by name. Again, one of the things I worked around with Salesforce was if I needed to find something that was related to an account, I'd type account yeah. in my browser right. and have it search the page text for that. Well, now I can't do that. So I, now I'm scrolling, trying to find, okay, where is that, where is that field that's, look, that's, that's a lookup to the account or whichever? Yep. But it's bubbly and looks like Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this consumer experience is uh, going to be the end of me, man. So I'm, I'm just finding <sighs> the, the interface to be less efficient, less functional for it's me. Less and less powerful. I imagine if I'm having these issues as an ad, or not as an admin, but doing admin functions and setting up and configuring... Are the users having the same issue? Because I've seen plenty of users with multiple tabs of Salesforce open because they're doing the same thing. They found ways to work around traditionally what was, you know, inadequacies in, in the way the UI worked. Yeah. And now you can't. Now it's in these hidden tabs and it's a single page application and, and you just can't do those things. Sounds like another thing that's built for a great demo. Probably makes a great demo. Again, the bubbly looking interface and everything. But I mean, I tell you, man, when I need to see all 300 fields on the account object, and I, you know, I'm going to use my command F to jump around, yeah. and, and I need to see a, several on the on the same screen. And if I'm having to, yeah, page next, page next, page next to find the field I want, or if I can't get the fields on the same screen, that that's just yeah, that's going to totally slow me down. Yeah, so that's been frustrating. I, I'm curious. And it's more opportunity for people to create more Chrome plugins to make yeah. Salesforce suck less. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you can't sell those. No, you could. You can. I guess you could, but you it's just could. JavaScript. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. That's my rant. The hell's going on out here? <laughs> God. Um, uh, I've seen. Uh, so I guess uh, Salesforce sent out all their Dreamforce talk rejections last week, huh? Oh, they did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have, and this is totally just anecdotal, but it seemed like there were a lot of rejections. 
There were. Um, I thought I saw a tweet earlier from um, Gearholt. Um, actually, I guess they did have a lot of rejections, but they I guess they're increasing the number of unique presenters. So as before, there was multiple sessions of the same presenters. They yeah. actually tried to spread that out with more unique perspectives okay. on things. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I'd, I'd, I can't find the tweet, but it's out there where he, he's kind of talking about that. I mean, I guess that's a good problem to have more more talks than you know what to do. Yeah, with. yeah, it is. <clears throat> and I thought, well, I wonder if they're reducing that, trying to make each talk bigger, and so have fewer talks, maybe, or just maybe a lot more people uh, submitted a paper for talk. It seems like I don't know. It it seems like this year, more than anything, a lot more people were wanting to submit talks, and I wonder if that was because they started you know, doing more talks and doing more multiple talks or pre presenters and, and more people knew these people and got to interact with them and thought, you know, hey, I could, I'd love to do that too. And so I don't know, I, th I think it's just the community growing and wanting to participate more. Yeah. I mean, I've also seen a lot more interest in MVP things, you know, where people are asking more questions than, than I, I guess I thought. I mean, MVP kind of was this thing, but, you know, like I went to that user group the other day and there's a lot of questions on that. I, I see there's some articles being published on, you know, trying to, inform people on, on the program and things like that. So I just think the community itself is getting more aware of these things and wanting to participate more. Yeah. Well, it's just... Plus, it doesn't hurt that you get a your pass. <laughs> uh, you get a free pass to Dreamforce when you're a presenter. That's true. And actually, I saw a lot of people saying, well, I guess I'm not going to Dreamforce yeah. this year. It's for, I think for a lot of people, it's uh, I'll submit a talk and see if I can present because otherwise I can't afford to go. Again, if you do, if you do the math... On what you're going to pay for a hotel at Dreamforce, and just add up the, the you know all your your lodging and your flight and the Dreamforce pass and your and your opportunity cost time away from work. It's yeah. it's easily a, it's a it's a ten grand expense. Oh, that Dreamforce. that reminds me of uh, on LinkedIn. This <laughs> is my favorite place. Um, someone sent me a, a message and I hadn't responded yet. I don't, I'm not sure if I will, but asking if I had five minutes to talk about. I, I don't know if it's something they're planning on doing or some idea where they're trying to create this community so that people could share hotels. So, like, I guess they would do some kind of matching. So, like, if I had a room and oh. someone didn't, they would do some kind of match and say, hey, you guys want to share a room? Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah, but... But it makes sense. This is this is the problem of trying to shoehorn Dreamforce into San Francisco. Yeah. I wish he wasn't so stubborn about that. It's just, it, it is not good. What kind of questions would you ask someone if to, to do matching? Like, must not snore. That's tough. Uh, must have control of your gas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> must not be uh, we just weird in general. Let's discuss not, bathroom yeah. routines <clears throat> here. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Don't cross this line. Yeah. No. Ever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh. It's just yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's getting there. Um, you want to talk about App Cloud or? You, you think that's gonna? I'm sorry, the mobile cloud. Is there news on that? Yeah, I it's guess. new. I don't remember. remember. It's it's a whole new cloud. Oh, well, everything's new because they can call it lightning. I mean, if there's something interesting to discuss, sure. No, I'm open. Oh, <laughs> well, it's kind of odd because I think we, our discussion happened over the Slack channel, so it, it's kind of like not new to us, but it's just information on on because they they announced it a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago, and and an, I use announce in air quotes because. It's all technology that's existed. It's all stuff there. It's, it's just, just they're rebranding it as this lightning cloud, staying in the media, and they're you know yeah. they're creating this <clears throat> this this thing. What, one thing I found interesting is is that the SDK is included in it, 
But as someone pointed out, they had a customer who was using the SDK, but and they went to Salesforce for support, and Salesforce doesn't support it directly. They they use forums in the community to support that. Um, I, I think at first I, I had a much bigger reaction yeah, to I it think, than I do now. I think their comment was that's n- that's supposed to be a customer company, right? you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially I mean they're staking everything. I mean tons of stuff on this mobile SDK. They they keep selling the crap out of this mobile SDK and how great it is. And you can build all these things I in know. so short a time and all that. Oh, and by the way, um, yeah, we don't really support it, and it's kind of a hodgepodge spread across all kinds of. It's a, it's a hot it's a hot mess. Yeah. I mean, to the point I, that and, I almost ripped it out of the application. Yeah. That we built because. It was just not worth dealing with the undocumentedness, the bugs. Like, how in the hell am I going to, you know, it's just a system. I'd rather, I'd rather just rewrite the, the few parts of it that I need. I'll just yeah. code it from scratch. I mean, I think, I think in terms of the platform, they want Salesforce One to be that easy path to developing a mobile app, and that's what they want you to use. I don't use. understand that. How do you do that? What is that? I don't know. I, as, as far as I've seen, you can you create custom tabs and rebrand it just like you would Salesforce. Like if you wanted to rebrand Salesforce as your own app, it, it's it's very similar to that. I mean, can you create a, like a Salesforce one app? I think you can. That's, I don't, I don't understand that. But it's all, okay, so think about creating a community and you create your community, but you brand it, but it's all Salesforce in the back end. Right. I believe you can do the same thing with the Salesforce oh, okay. one. Well, that's... However, most people are looking for a much more personalized experience with, with, <clears throat> with mobile in terms of UI and all that kind of stuff and tie-ins with other systems. And so that's where the SDK comes in. However, despite all the marketing and the grouping of it into the app cloud, um, it's still its own thing. Yeah, I I I don't pay much attention to that stuff. It's just it's just spinning, smoke and mirrors, marketing, whatever you want to call it. So you're gonna you're gonna chalk it up to just <clears throat> hype hype generation. I mean, it's just it's just PR doing their thing. I mean. The the rebranding and the reconceptualizing the same crap over and over, just that churn of that, that's what's to me is frustrating. Because again, and I think I saw other people say this, you know, damn it, I'm gonna have clients now coming to me and say and wanting to build something on this new app cloud mobile. And then you have to and it's difficult it's difficult to explain because they it's almost hard to believe. Like they're like, Really? Salesforce does that? They just constantly like rehash and rebrand and make it sound new. They 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 don't believe you. Yeah. <clears throat> But like, yeah, that's that's what this is, and I'm sorry, but it's it's nothing new here. We're already using, you know, the the prop the the appropriate technology that Salesforce makes available, and there's you know, I mean, of course, if something new comes up, we'll evaluate it or whatever. But and it is what it is at this point. Yeah, and I don't I don't know. I, I wonder if I mean it is just our jobs as consultants in, in in the community to kind of bring everyone down from the hype, as we say, or you know, kind of educate them on what this really means to get past the marketing. How do the, MV- how do the MVPs feel about all this? Um... <laughs> well, funny enough, so, so there, there's one comment on that article that talked about the new app cloud, okay. and it had that diagram with you know, mobile, mobile cloud being in there. Yep. And it's from Don Robbins, and I actually don't know him personally, but I, I looked him up, and I think he's an MVP. Um, but he's, his comment on it was, app, app cloud mobile is truly the culmination of a vision for both enterprise and customer mobile front end plus back-end services that Salesforce has been building for years and is truly here now. Great overview. And, and I'm like... and Well, okay, let me stop you right there. This is what... Because, you know, this... Um, uh, what's his name? Keir Bowden? Is that his name? Yeah. Wrote that article. Bob Buzzard. Yeah, um, about the MVP thing. And that sparked a lot of conversation in the, in the Slack about MVP and how some people who are outside of the program look at it and, okay, okay it's kind of cool and there's some benefits, whatever, but, like, there's some parts... To us, <laughs> to <mark> that. 
that are that are frustrating. Mark it. You're gonna um, you're gonna believe yourself. But this is one thing. This is this is exactly the, the sycophantic. Yes, people. Yes, I can't. Can I say yes, man? He's a he was a man, right? You know that's like, come on, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's total bull- Fitbit. And for him to perpetuate that, like it's his job to be this cheerleader. And then, frankly, a lot of the MVPs, maybe a majority, I don't, I don't know. I've never taken a poll or a survey, but that's that's the impression that a lot of us get from the MVP crowd is. It's it's like you know you're not you're not allowed to oh don't say anything bad about the mothership you know they might laser zap you down right in your tracks or something you know <laughs> or or no you're afraid no okay I uh, I want to go ahead and get into this because I made some notes on Bob's Kears whatever his name is <laughs> his article um, so he wrote this thing um, on Medium called the MVP life and you know he just talks about it kind of starts out with what it is, it's, you know, it's not, it's not easy to get. You can't just like uh, do a, a bunch of blog posts in a month and get it. It's, it's, a, it's more of a, it's a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not like I'm going to quickly do this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily easy to stay in and, and it's a lot of work because as soon as you become an MVP, you know, people want help from you. People want to use you for, as, a, as a tool to promote stuff or to come to their thing at Dreamforce and it's just, it's a lot of crap you have to deal with. Um, but then he gets into this. I guess he wrote. I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I'd read it. But he wrote a post when Salesforce had that big outage and data was lost and all that. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, when I wrote that outage post, I had no idea um, how it would play out with Salesforce. It was definitely a risk, both to my MVP status and my professional reputation. Wait, what? Stop! This is the effing problem. <laughs> That if you're, most of the people who are MVPs, they're afraid they can't say anything negative, even when it's glaringly obvious and it's the giant elephant in the room. You're still scared to say anything about it because you might lose your MVP status or, you know, it might look, be frowned upon or your employer who is all invested in this Salesforce crap too may be afraid of the repercussions that comes back on them. But he did it. But Despite I know, I know he did it. He did it. So, so kudos to him. Props to Kier. Mr. Buzzard, because he did it. But that is a smell. That's a big problem. That's a problem with this MVP culture. I, I, uh, I hate to drag this up again, but... I, I know, we, I, already, I, we already talked about this, no, but, no, it, no, but no, this is I, new. I'm, so. I'm talking about this. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about how we... Re, I, I'm relating this to our journalistic integrity conversation, which oh, you God. and I can never agree on. But that's <laughs> the point. The fact that these incentives exist and, and you know somehow your reputation is tied to it, yet you, you do the right thing and you say what you need to say... Show, that's integrity. That's that's him saying, you know, despite all these things, I think it's the right thing to do to publish this this information out. Just like any journalist who goes out and gets wine and dine at Dreamforce and, and whatever gets the the hookers and the steak. <laughs> not not exactly in that order. Or hookers and blood, <laughs> whatever your preference, whether you're hungry or not. You're now you're escalating it. <laughs> um, they can still come back and write honest reviews if they choose to. They they can. I think what people are saying is like this is way too rare. And and the fact that when it does happen, that people fear for their professional career and their status, this is this is not good. It's obviously it has a chilling effect. It, I mean, if that's the case, I, I don't know. I mean, most people that I speak to have said they've been critical of Salesforce, especially as MVPs, and I, they. I, I hear more people. T- I hear more MVPs talking about how they can be critical of Salesforce than I actually hear of MVPs being critical. 
I think I think to the general community, they're not out there just bashing Salesforce. But I think whenever they they're able to, it's, and I have it's access not that you to, have to bash. I'm not saying no, no, you I'm, have to be unfair. Or I, you have to be always slamming Salesforce. No, I know, I know. It's not always okay. The Good Day Sir podcast out there. <laughs> exactly. That's our job. Hey, don't <laughs> don't take our stick. Exactly. That's our territory. <laughs> but you know, I I think you know when they do get the opportunity to to be in front of you know product managers or whoever you know, especially at these summits or you know whatever. Um, access they're afforded, you know, they are able to be honest, and they are able to be critical, and they are able to ask some very tough questions. And in some of the webinars that I've seen, they they have done that. Yeah. But a lot of times, public pressure is what's needed, and that's where I think people are scared. Uh, I guess, I guess I can, uh, that's plausible. Anyway, that's just, that's my, uh, that's my assertion. That's my thesis. Um, so then he, uh, a little bit, I had a couple other quotes here he, he, he had. Uh, he said, what happens, uh, he's talking about after the outage. What happens next was Parker Harris called me, talked me through the outage, and asked me for my feedback on how things would have been handled differently. And now this is almost a separate topic. This gets back to the communication aspect of anytime it. Anytime you are in a situation as an $8 billion company with 20,000 employees, where your CEO and your whatever Parker is, you know, top dog and co-founder are having to personally reply to people. This is, this is a big problem too, because again, I, I see this, I'm like, well, what, what, my org doesn't matter? This guy's getting a, you know, this guy got a tweet from Benioff and this other guy over here got a call from Parker Harris. Well, I didn't get that. I didn't get a, a tweet from Benioff. You sound jealous. No, I, I did. I wasn't on NA14. I'm just saying that there were a lot of <laughs> no. There were people, other posts from other customers who felt this way. And there was a, um, a guy who's like a um, kind of a PR and crisis expert who wrote this really long analysis of how Salesforce really bungled that whole thing from a PR and customer just customer relations, which is odd, a customer relationship management perspective. Right. How they completely hose that up. And really, the worst thing to do is have is have your CEO starting to personally reply because it doesn't scale. And it also just shows that how every, literally everything else in that chain of 20,000 employees has completely broken down. It has failed. True. Anyway, that's, that's all news too. And, and I know, I don't mean to drudge up the past and I'm sure Salesforce, hopefully, you know, has learned, learned a lot from that. And in fact, I, all those guys basically lost their job because Salesforce decided to outsource to AWS right after that. <laughs> they didn't lose their job. They're going to. Uh <laughs> Remember that that someone did uh, had some private information that that was that was behind the scenes that there was a giant fight over that AWS thing internally at Salesforce. Yeah, but I mean that's that's more of a. But of course there would have been right. I mean those guys. Yeah. I mean that that's they, natural. So they think they can do it better than AWS can. And, and you know. but we're also. I mean uh, the only thing that's been confirmed is IoT on it, right? They haven't really fully confirmed that there's going to be actual well, Salesforce they, pods. No, I think so. On there, I think I think what they what they were saying was that it would be for the regions that Salesforce doesn't have their own data center in, it's going to be where there are AWS data centers, they will use AWS to open up in those regions. Yeah, and Now, that's whether fair. that will ever come back like domestically or to the, you know, to the North America and to the UK and, 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 um, don't they have a Singapore one? I don't know. People have, do they have a data center in Japan? But anyway, the, the, the existing data centers, will they come back and retroactively then move those over to AWS? I don't know. But they definitely did talk about for net new regions that they would be utilizing AWS for that. Hmm. Oh, that and and that's just, once that thing's in motion, it's, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> um, a final thing here is he says, I still find it incredible that someone at that level of the organization 
Yeah, no doubt, in, insanely busy every day. Took out, took time out to listen. So he's actually. I mean, Bob's making the point. Bob here, whatever. Sorry, I don't know. How, I'm not sure what to call you, <laughs> Mister Buzzard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was saying that. Wow, that that's amazing. I, I think he's saying that he that was pretty awesome. I guess that he got the call. But I, I'm saying that's actually a, a massive smell. That's again a, a, a sign that every everything else has broken down. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's flattering to get that. I'm I'm not going to say that I wouldn't be flattered, right? Right. Um, hell, even when Benioff made their CTO call me, like that was that was flattering, right? It didn't go anywhere. It was not fruitful at all. But hey, that's cool, you know. <laughs> CTO called me. <laughs> um, but it but it 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 it, it represents it's it, it's it's evidence that we have problems here. Anyway, um, so that sparked off some conversation in the in our Slack. Right. By the way, if you're not in our Slack, you should join. If you're listening right now, if it, an hour in, if you are still listening to this and you're not in our <laughs> Slack, you probably should be. You probably are the type of people that we want to hang out with. So go to our website, gooddayserpodcast.com, click on community, put in your, your email address there, and John will personally create an invite for you. Just be patient with me. <laughs> sometimes I have to sleep, and sometimes it's the holiday weekend. I did have two that I didn't re- see until... What was it Monday or Tuesday when I added added them? So sorry, sorry for anyone who's waiting impatiently for me. Yeah. So uh, one thing that people brought up was um, one way that people. I'm not sure if they this is the strategy or what, but um, a, a kind of a surefire way to to become a MVP is to be a user group leader. I'm not sure what you're doing with your scratching. Oh, okay. Not sure if you were trying to gesture something to me. I'm like looking over your like, what are you doing? <laughs> I wasn't doing that gesture. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah, become a user group leader, and you're pretty. It's a, it's you're a shoe in for MVP at that point. I don't um, know. I don't know either. I'm just saying this is this is what people are. Some, well, if you think back a, to the conversation we had with Shell, he he said that once upon a time that was a good way to get in, but it's no longer the case. Well, other people are saying that it, that it is too. So. I, that's got to well, help because think, it, because I, you get so much visibility, right? Right, and visibility is really the thing is right. you know how well known you are in the community, how much of an impact you're able to have, and what I'm seeing more is not only user groups, but you know people creating these these localized events, you know, creating more content like Surfforce, like Surfforce, yeah, everyone go and, register uh, for Surfforce. Isn't there like Midwest Dreamin and all these, yeah. you know, whatever they are? I don't know. All the Dreamins again. These are things I don't go to. Well, uh, to be fair, do they have those in Dallas area, Texas, anywhere? I don't. Think there's one in Dallas. There you go. We should start one in Dallas. There you go, John. That'll get you your MVP status, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeremy for MVP 2016. Uh, could you imagine? I did. That'd be, be hilarious. Uh, MVPs see my name come up, like, what? I'm not voting for this guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a jerk. <clears throat> oh, I don't want to take the whole group. You know why? I you won't take the group you, down you know, a notch. You know but. why you won't get MVP? Because you have secret articles on on deployments that you won't share. On deployments, yeah, you had this whole. Oh, I did. Yeah, it's probably in Evernote somewhere. Yeah. I was thinking because I, I did. Um, I used to have a functioning blog, but I think I turned it off and just didn't even capture. That was the only place I had written, and I oh. lost all that content. Um, but I do have stuff in Evernote that I just never got posted. That stuff's probably outdated by now, though. I, I just have a bunch of stuff that I'm sitting on right now too. It's it's kind of sad. I did write a blog post for. Um, I had to do some stuff with Java and Salesforce recently, and I wanted to use um, a certain SOAP kind of Java SOAP stack. Um, and it was I think I chose uh, CXF, which is an mm. Apache project. 
and there was really, I, there were a couple of steps. There's a couple of steps required to get it to work with sales, like the Salesforce wisdom. And there, I think literally is nowhere on the internet where someone has encountered this, done it successfully, and then lived to tell about it. And so I wrote a blog post and it's sitting in Evernote. And I did that about two <laughs> months ago. Speaking of which, ten- tangent, <laughs> people hate Wizzles now. They, they've, they've latched on to REST, and anytime they have to deal with, it, with a SOAP interface, they're like, I'm not doing this. Listen, they're fighting it hard. We had a customer who... I've been who, shouting from the rooftops about the WS Death Star and Wizzle <laughs> and all this crap for 10 years. And for the longest time, people were looked at me like I'm crazy. Like I'm just yeah. not up. I'm just, I'm scared of enterprise computing or, you know, you just don't know XML that well. Yeah. No, listen, I know XML. <laughs> I know all this. Fitbit. You know XML better than I do. You and had to do sucks. some crazy stuff with it. But anyways, yeah, the, it was, it was to, to implement an outbound message. We had this client that we were working with. They were doing most of the work themselves. We were just giving them advice on how to react with things. I pointed them towards the REST API for most of the things they needed. But then they wanted some, some data replication coming back, or at least some notifications of things. They were like, okay, well, they have outbound messaging for that. But you have to have a, a, an endpoint for them to, to send that message to. Right. And that, that has to be a SOAP. SOAP. And I mean, there's benefits just, to SOAP, though, especially for if you have developers who... You know, just I always call them like citizen developers who all you can show them how to in Visual Studio right click on the Wizzle and import it, and then they can um, start writing the class. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. If that's if that's what you need, that that can be useful. I mean, it kind of keeps you on the rails, you know. Yeah, but I mean, the the fact that it that there's a shortcut, there's a proxy class code gen tool shouldn't shouldn't validate the entire system. Should invalidate it? Shouldn't validate it. Oh. It shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, but SOAP, you can do code gen with it. That well, yeah. makes it awesome. Uh, hmm. Well, you're not generating your code. It's generating system code, basically. Yeah. Regardless yeah, of it's how... Creating, I've, I've, I've had to go in and modify the proxy classes that get created from Salesforce because right. it doesn't always interpret things correctly. Yeah. It's not, it's not the, the best end-all tool. And well, I, I like the simplicity of REST. I, oh, I do too. I mean, well, and to your point, I mean, so much can go wrong with SOAP. Yeah. So much can go wrong. Just the way, it, I mean, and in fact, that you know, we the, also the weird fact that we, um, we, everyone, what's the word? Um, when uh, you def, kind of de facto standardized on like the document literal, um, version of of SOAP. Mm. So you know, for the encoding and everything, because versus like R, so document instead of RPC, um, literal instead of instead of some other specific encoding and. But really, it's actually the document versus RPC thing. Like pretty much everything, if you don't, if they don't say otherwise, it's all document oriented. Right. None of it's RPC, and that's just because of that's a that's like an artifact of history. The the way that back, I think back in the day, I think Visual Studio and the Microsoft side had a lot to do with it. Like the way they, you are most likely to be compatible with these tools if you stuck to this subset of Wisdle. Right. And there's still things in Wisdle that you just absolutely avoid, like the way that Wisdle. Um, and really, it's it's kind of a it, it blends in. That this is where it gets interesting. It's like schemas, XML schemas, are part it's of that really too. It's really the XML, architecture, but you know, just I the think. way that arrays are can be handled in yeah. different ways and everything. It's it's just kind of a mess, and and that's when it gets back. To, and the, and then when when whatever tool you're using that's that's taking the whistle and then converting it into like a serve like a, like a local port or service stub, and then all the all the basically data structure classes that mm-hmm. can be passed into those into those methods. I mean, there's just so many ways that a whistle can be interpreted. And these tools have to make a decision like, well, the way this whistle's written, I can interpret this 50 different ways. Like, what, and, there's, and so they have, there are just a, a mind-numbing number of options 
that like, for example, CXF's whistle to Java can take. All right. And I don't even understand 75% of them. Right? Yeah. And, and, and ter- but it turns out that there's a certain combination of like flags that you have to pass to this Java stub generator in order to get it to work with Salesforce right. That, and that's the part that like some of that was just not documented. I'm just like, right. So yeah, God, just give me a, give me a, give me an endpoint, something I can send some JSON to. Yeah. And call it done. <laughs> that, was anyway. a, that was a good rant to yeah. get to that final statement. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I'm just let's pop the stack here and go back to this, you know, user group leader. Um, I think one of the side results of that is that some people feel that there are many MVPs that are lack, lacking like typical skills. Because, and, and here's an interesting comment that someone made. I don't know if I should say people's names or not. I'm just not going to. This is a quote, though. Um, it's, it's a misconception, actually, that, that these MVPs are, are well-skilled in Salesforce. Um, and it's created some negative job experiences for some of them. Um, a new company thinks that, you know, this person they're hiring is this Salesforce demigod. Uh, meanwhile, they just happen to like running user groups. Mm. And then that gets back to, well, what does it mean to be an MVP? Well, I, again, I, I really have no idea. Like, you like running user groups? Okay, you can be an MVP. You're a badass coder who has a good blog? Okay, you're an MVP. I mean, there's complete. I guess, there, I mean, there, it's, a, it's a diverse group. But, and I don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, really, what is, is when, okay, when you're an MVP and you're voting on the new class or whatever the hell they call it that's coming in, is there, a, is there a guidelines that you have to vote on? Or can you just? Is it just up to you? It's up to you. Yeah. So I maybe mean, I mean people take it. Maybe some, you, maybe you think the way that um, Matt Morris runs the UK user group is just really awesome. He does a really good job of bringing the community together and everybody else. And and for that reason, he should be MVP. Okay. And if enough if enough if enough people vote that way, then yes. Exactly. But I mean, I, from from what I understand, the voting system it's twofold. It's it's you know the MVPs help contribute to the voting, but then Salesforce also kind of does their look over of everything. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's not like it's not a certification or it's not any kind of you know stamp of a seal of approval that says this guy knows everything about Salesforce. It's it's more of an award. It that gets says, back to this hiring though. Most it, most companies myth, don't hire very well. Though. And, well, just just like having your advanced developer certification is a misperception. Well, yeah. It, it is. It, there's a lot of confusion. To, it's going to be misunderstood and abused. There is a lot of confusion around it, and you know what the what the program means or what the title means. Right. You know, it's it's definitely not a seal of approval. It's, it doesn't mean that you're automatically a technical but, architect right. certified and, solution provider. And that's know? not the program's fault. That's no. people just that don't know how to hire. It's like you should learn how to hire before you go hiring people, <laughs> making people <laughs> offers, right? You know, because well, because it makes the decision easy. It's like, oh, there's this exclusive, high-profile group that this person belongs to. They must be awesome. Oh yeah, exactly. So let's get them in here. And it turns out that you know they may just like running user groups. <laughs> <laughs> They're really anyway. good at organizing and running groups. There's also this sentiment that MVPs have gained an attitude of like, I'm right because I'm an MVP, um, or or just had an entitlement attitude is what is what mm. one thing I saw come up. And and honestly, I gotta say, I. I haven't really seen a lot of that. Um, I wonder if maybe that was a legacy thing of some people in the past, because I've never met anyone that I felt acted that way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, another thing, and you've, you've kind of reminded me of this, the MVP, because not necessarily for the good, it's a, it's a changing program. Yes. And the, the members that make it up change it and push it in different directions. The people that run it from Salesforce's side are going to pull it in different directions. And, and they've had a lot of change on that end. Yeah, and... and some people may like the direction it's going. Some people may not like the direction it's going. But like what it is now is probably not what it was three years ago. Right. It's probably a little bit different. Um, 
my, and I'm not sure that I should have an issue with this. So I'd, I'll let you give, give your response to this. Okay. One issue I have with MVPs is they, you guys sign an NDA and you get early access to Salesforce inform, uh, information. You know what features are coming sometimes, not everything, but I mean, what, whatever Salesforce chooses to show you. Um, you might get access to Wave six months before anyone else does, you know, so features, right? And I'm just like, okay, uh, so here's Salesforce rewarding people who are, who are, who are by and large just huge Salesforce promoters, supporters, and, and cheerleaders. And so now we have this elite class of people who literally get exclusive knowledge and access to the platform, which means that you can do things for your client that I can't do. No matter how hard I'm working, right? No matter how smart I am, you, you've been given this leg up. Now, my question, and to me that, I'm like, well, it kind of strikes me just as unfair. It, it's a perception issue. It's not like that at all. Okay. Well, well my first question, <laughs> before, that's even, before that's even true, let's say that is true. Okay. Like, you get access to stuff. You know what's coming before. You can give your clients better advice than I can because I, I'm just in the dark. Mm-hmm. I, I learned about things from my clients. Salesforce tells their clients before they tell me. Well, you know? that, that's part of my response to you. And I'll, I'll let you finish before I respond. But, but if I'm my, my deepest, darkest fears about this are correct, am I, am I right to, to um, have an issue with that? Does, would that seem, un, does that, is that like an unfair thing? Should, am I right to have a beef with that? It's not really unfair because it's not like we're getting this information and we're able to use that information. Okay, so it, because the, the, the it, say, say I get, okay, let's, let's say everything you said is true and I get advanced knowledge of this feature. I can't do anything. It's all on the platform and it hasn't been enabled anywhere. Well, so even if I have right. advanced knowledge of this feature, but I you can't can, do but you anything at least with give it. your client guidance like, oh, you may not want to put your efforts but in what even you're doing then, right there it, because it's all wrapped around safe harbor. They could decide to pull it. And yeah, it's you, can kind of, you can kind of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You probably shouldn't no. be doing that because that's going to, that might, I'm not saying it will, but that might change right now. You know, it, it's so risky. Way, but the, yeah, I agree. I mean, well, <laughs> even, even those of us with our ears to the ground, we figure things out. You know, we figure, you know, where things are headed. We get rumors. We hear these things. So we kind of have an idea of where things are headed. It's not like new. And then with all these new world tours, information's trickling out like crazy. Yeah. There are no secrets. There are no pre-advanced notices. The stuff that, that the MVPs get access to is no different than if you're a big client or like I like data.com, I think it was data, or database.com. I knew about database.com way before it was announced at Dreamforce because I was on a list uh, as a customer to preview it. So they would they would kind of get feedback to more so to understand how to present it. Yeah. Does this feature resonate right. with you or what features resonate of this presentation that we did? And it's the same thing with MVPs. It's like we have these things coming out. What's resonating with you? Because it helps them figure out how they can package this and deliver it to the rest of the community. It's not so much... um, Like here's a strategic leg up on your competition. Right, right. No, that that makes sense. And um, because you're always going to have, you know, Salesforce does actually, um, they do, they're big and good customers. They give them early access to information. Yeah. All the time. They let them pilot and run the stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, You'll hear some BS story about how GE is using Salesforce's IoT and everything they do, and it's completely changed their business. And then six months later, you find out the IoT doesn't even, doesn't even exist yet. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, where I will say where there is might be a little bit of a leg up is a lot of times MVPs can get a can get access to some of that pilot stuff. Yeah. So they can get an org set up or some kind of trial access to it. it right. They still have to work for it. I mean, you still have to go through all the channels yeah. and kind of beg. But well, and you still probably can't show it to anyone. Right. No, but I mean, you can at least play around with it. You right. can kind of form an opinion on it before kind of everyone has can see it. Um, right. So, I mean, that part of it, it exists. Yeah. I mean, you, you have you have a little bit more I access think to people. That may be of dubious value because 
some of the stuff, I mean, hell, by the time Salesforce does publicly announce it, it's still so far from being ready. I don't even want to touch. I'm like, I don't have yeah. time to touch your buggy crap right now. Like, I'm building <laughs> stuff. I'm building stuff for people paying me to build. Yeah. Um, work on that a little bit longer. Let that bake a little bit longer before, <laughs> before yeah. I sample it. But I, yeah, I mean, and back back to the reality of everything, it doesn't matter what they announce, we still have to see it, we still have to see, you know, what's real and what isn't about it, what you can actually do with it. So even even if they announce something and, you know, you just found out about it at Dreamforce and maybe 100 people knew about it before you, no one could do anything with that anyways. Yeah. Yep. So, so since we were talking about, are we done with that? Yep. Since we were talking about um, Salesforce rebranding and packaging things that already existed, uh, today, Microsoft announced Dynamics 365. I had that on my list to talk about. Whole new thing. Well, but it's not. It's the same thing. Just we're saying it's new because it's cloud and you well, can, so let's, you let's can talk, do let's... things with App Source, which is their App Store, and link it in and ERP and everything communicates and it's all awesome and Cortana and this and that. And I'm like, I think, hell? actually, I think some of this is new because it's not even, re- it's not even ready. I mean, so what they're, they're they, they have this, the, this new product called Dynamics 365. It's not right. really a new product, but what it is, it's a, it's a new cloud service. So you can right. now get Dynamics, CRM, and ERP on the same platform as a cloud as service. A cloud, right. So it's, it's one service and it's a common platform. So it's kind of the Salesforce message, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. similar, similar thing. Um, I had a, a quote here from them. So we ima- I went to their press release. We imagine a better world for business users everywhere, one where you can track leads, automate field service, drive sales, and improve operating operations under modern, mobile, enterprise-ready, intelligent business apps from the cloud. Oh, my gosh. Breath. That are as easy to use as the consumer apps that help us all get rides, book rooms, listen to music, and take actions to improve our health. Oh. Well, my question to you is, was that actually, a, was that a Microsoft PR thing or a Salesforce PR thing? <laughs> and the answer is, it's, you, you could use it for either one. Yeah. Like, I think they should share PR firms right now. They could, they could, they could get a discount, a, a well, group I, discount. I, I could tell you who it wasn't, because everything would have been the same, except it would have said Docker Lightweight Containers if it was an well, Oracle not, message. Yeah. So it's certainly yeah. an Oracle. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, 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 and again, it's just bringing all these things together, um, and, I th- and a lot of it already was on, I think, part of the ERP platform, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, so it's financials, um, field service, sales, operations, marketing, project service automation. I wonder if that was supposed to be like professional service automation. Do they have a PSA? I don't know. I don't think I was thinking is that just like the Microsoft project. Well, because they, they announced this in conjunction with the, all the offerings on, on their app source, which I don't know. Is that new? Is app source app new? App source is new. So, so it's not even out yet. The lines are going to get blurred between what is actually an offering in the cloud and what is a oh you have access to a project management tool. Yeah, it's made by this company and it's in our app source. Just click button, go. So so the things I just mentioned so far, and there's one more which is customer service. Those are all actually core uh, modules of the Dynamics. That doesn't mean well, yeah. Does what I just mentioned. Right, right. But my what I want to say, what I want to interject here is that that doesn't mean it's all one price. Oh, no, no, no. Not at all. It's, Much in the way Salesforce like to package these clouds as these one thing, there's no one app cloud yeah, license. You, yeah, you don't get, you don't, you don't buy, you know, sign up for CRM and they get like field service for free. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't mean to <laughs> imply that. Um, Power BI and Cortana intelligence are going to be natively embedded. And then the question is, you know, to your point of, is, this, is any of this even new? I mean, how much is it embedded? Now, Power BI is a real thing. 
Yes. And Cortana is a real thing. And they were both already integrated with, with um, Dynamics. And, and by integrated, I mean they have communication channels. These are modules and things that you well, connect to these specific, systems. There's specific new functionality that's going to be a part of this release, and it's not until fall. Well, that would be interesting to see some kind of Cortana assistant inside Dynamics would be very interesting. And they're linking it into, so of course it's getting linked into Office 365 and Outlook. Um, and LinkedIn. And, and <laughs> No, and LinkedIn. I mean, th this is actually, this could become a really interesting problem for Salesforce. Uh, Very uh, much. Yeah. yeah. And again, it depends on how well they, and this is, again, I, I think one of these steps that we're seeing today, they're bringing these things together. One platform, one service. And <clears throat> by the, I, I still think the LinkedIn thing is very interesting. It'll be really interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, think, I think as long as they truly integrate it and start opening up the API, I think they have a good shot at, at making that that data and that social environment work for them. Well, they've got... One of the biggest issues with LinkedIn was the fact that, yes, they had data, but there's really no way to, to access it or integrate with it or, you know, build things on top of it. Right. It was... I mean, it's just yeah. it's highly self-contained right. system, which, which for consumers, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe that was what they were hedging on was that, you know, our consumers want their data here, private, not in all these different tools and this and that. I mean, imagine like... um. If every time one of your contacts changed their title in LinkedIn, you know, you got a notification and that would be awesome. Oh, I mean, there's just so much there's just there's so much intelligence in LinkedIn that it could really I mean make using Microsoft CRM such a competitive advantage. Yeah. Anyway, um common data model shared with Office 365 to simplify data management and integration. So this is I had to, I had to <laughs> clip this one. Uh it offers tech savvy business customers slash analysts a.k.a. citizen developers, uh, using Power Apps, Power BI, and Microsoft Flow, uh, and professional developers using Azure platform services, a consistent business platform they can use to compose new apps and easily extend and modify existing ones. Now, this is where it gets interesting for me. If I can, you know, build out this platform for my clients, and I'm able to use Azure and Visual Studio and C Sharp, this is getting very interesting for me. Yeah. I gotta say, I mean, it really. I mean, I'm thinking about look, taking a look at this. <laughs> I mean, this may be Jeremy's gonna jump ship. I'm just thinking, you know. Plus, I mean, I just still think the LinkedIn thing. The more I think about it, the more huge this is. Between not, it's not, it's the, it's all that professional data and intelligence, but also it's the identity that is the, without a doubt, the gold standard for professionals' identity. Yeah, but is it, LinkedIn. It, I mean, that remains to be seen. I, th I think, and if they somehow tie that into what's the Active Directory? Oh man. Yes, but the, the, that, that's over. something they could do with the data they have today. But are people going to want to continue to use LinkedIn under the Microsoft umbrella and continue to maintain that information, continue to participate in that network? I think LinkedIn will stay a standalone service that everyone... It's, it's, it, it's already got the whole network effect bundled up. Like, there is, not, there is no competitor anywhere on the horizon for LinkedIn. They, they've, they got it wrapped up completely. Here in the States. Now, if Microsoft did something stupid and... and screwed it up and made you have to you have you to log in with your live 365 user account now and their you know, login system is horrible saying <laughs> i don't know which account i'm supposed to log in to get my 365 i don't remember if it's my hotmail my msn my microsoft you know account what? You know or my i have the same problem with salesforce and i have the same problem with apple i have so many logins <laughs> yes. with apple i have my like my from my phone i've got like a it's like backup. a different Thing for iTunes and App Store. My and developer I've, account got, is a different one. Developer account, and then there's I have another one for like um, 
that you have to use it when I log into like do Apple Store stuff. I'm just like oh, this is yeah. it's very confusing. And they, I haven't, I haven't tried in a long time, but supposedly they didn't make it easier to merge those now. So I might I might have to look at that. Um, okay, and it also comes with connectors that let you integrate with applications and services from Microsoft and our partners, including custom APIs and on-premise systems. Uh, but yeah, App Source. So that was one of the big new things, I guess. So it's um, it's their new destination for business users to find and try out line of business SaaS apps for Microsoft and our partners. Yeah, at launch, it will contain more than two hundred SaaS apps, add-ins, and content packs. I wonder what a content pack is. Some cool animated gifts, maybe. Can I do a content pack of animated gifts, just like a funny one? Sure, that'd be not? awesome. <laughs> uh, you may not be hitting your quota this month, but. Here's some funny gifts for you. <laughs> um, but no, I, I just think, in my opinion, like this is Microsoft playing to their strengths. If they continue this, um, combining, you know, process, platform, uh, productivity with Office 365, uh, social and this professional thing. I mean, uh, yeah. this, 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 this is how Microsoft wins. This is how they go from four, you know, 4.9% market share to 15% market share. Yeah. Overtaking who would that would be Oracle and SAP, and maybe stealing some from Salesforce. Although I don't, I can't see Salesforce going negative in the uh, 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 in the market share thing anytime soon. But I mean, it, they could it, take. Well, it'll, it'll give them a hit. It it also impacts their plans of you know their growth. Yeah, I know. I think. I mean, I, I read some really interesting articles on that kind of analyzed you know what a LinkedIn buy could have done for. For Salesforce, and it would have apparently it would have made it would have allowed them to hit their ten billion mark. So that, that's another thing. I sure you saw this in the news. Like there has been this ridiculously in depth and like unending rehashing of that whole back and forth of, of the, the story behind you know all the all the suitors that LinkedIn oh, had. Yeah, it's it's. I was reading all like, like I got about halfway through and I was like, this is one of the most boring things I have ever read. Yeah. But. Um, one, I, one thing I did learn is that Salesforce basically dropped their pants and said, oh, we're giving you everything. Yeah. They offered so much money and, and stock. Yeah. Well, that, that, well, the thing is Salesforce didn't have enough cash. Right. I mean, that, was the, that was their problem. But I mean, I mean, if you analyze that and that, that this article did, um, it actually paints a very troubling picture for, for Salesforce to be actually making really big acquisitions like LinkedIn. Well, that's just too big for them. I mean, it, I mean the the... What is it? The two other major acquisitions they had were around the two and a half billion mark, and they all wanted cash. No one wanted stock. Well, yeah, because you know, I mean, so they're not they're not going to be able to trade on stock, and they're I doubt they're going to be able to borrow enough to make a big acquisition like that. And do they want to go that much in debt? To right, I don't know. But I mean, it goes to show you how important Salesforce thought LinkedIn was. Yeah, it does. So, well, we are. Uh, Past our allotted time slot, John. It's your fault. We've, we've run over again. You said you had no topics and you talked. I, you know what? Here's <laughs> the only topics I had was Microsoft, the Microsoft Dynamics 365 and the MVP follow-up. Oh, nice. That was it. Doesn't take me much to get going, I guess. No, it doesn't. And to that I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>